0: amen that's our (laughs) daughter-in-law and I leaned on her a little bit to sing that (laughs) thank you Kayla and that was a holy night thank you Christy and Andrea for playing that uh, beautiful song for our offertory too we have some wonderful musicians in this church talented people just makes Christmas time that much more special doesn't it Have you ever received some super spectacular news that you struggled to keep to yourself? For example, when Reed and Haley gave us the news that they were expecting our first grandbaby, Tinley, we, of course, were instructed that, and I emphasize instructed, that we were not to tell anyone right yet. But Tan and I were bursting Just couldn't wait to tell somebody. How many of you have ever had that experience as a grandparent? Oh, a bunch of y'all, a bunch of y'all. So you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a grandparent yet, I can imagine you can think of some spectacular news that you've gotten that you couldn't share right away, or maybe you just couldn't wait to share. And uh, you can relate to this message as well. Because that's exactly what happened to those involved In the events surrounding Christ's birth. All these people, the, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna, Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, they had just received the greatest news they probably had ever received before. Something that was prophesied and promised years and years ago. And they looked forward to. And finally, it was imminent. It was here. He was here, as Kayla just said. And they just could not wait to share that story. So I want us to understand this morning that those who were alive at Christ's first coming couldn't contain their excitement. And sharing the news was just a natural outburst of joy from within them. And it prompted them to point out the day when this little baby would grow up and bring salvation redemption to all of us. That's the thesis of this message this morning that when we have had a personal encounter with the most famous person in history and the universe, Jesus Christ, it will compel us to proclaim him and the message of his salvation and his redemption and his return. You know Christmas time is a time of hope. Christmas time always enlivens hope in my heart. Like you, I've endured some unexpected challenges and changes, some heartache and loss, some trials and difficulties. I've learned, as most of you have learned, that you don't get everything you want in this life. This earthly existence is fraught with loss and sorrow, need, heartache, pain. But it's also filled with love and joy and peace and great hope. And if you're a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ, He is our hope. We've been talking about hope. The message, this series is entitled The Power of Hope. How many of you know that hope is a powerful force in your life? It keeps us going. And hope is about something that hasn't happened yet. Something that we know will happen, though. You know, we know what's already happened. And I love that song that Kayla just sang because it's the gospel story all in a song. What Christ came to do. He came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He was sinless as a man. Did many mighty works, but then was crucified for our sins and buried the to pay for our sins. He was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God. But there's still a part of this promise of Christ that hasn't happened yet, and that's where our hope comes in. That's what we're still waiting on and hoping for, and that is Christ's return. Now, his return is going to be for us twofold. First of all, what we're expecting next is what we have come to know as the rapture which is kind of detailed, or not detailed so much, but mentioned, uh, not by that word, but this snatching away, this catching away of of the church of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus. towards the end of time, which um, we understand from some of the signs that are happening is that we are in those last days. But the next thing we're looking for is, is being caught up with Christ. All believers and followers be caught up. He's coming back in the clouds to receive us into heaven. And then the earth will go through this period of great tribulation for seven years. And then at the end of that time, Christ will come all the way back to earth. And he will appear before all men. Every eye will see him. And then he will enter into Jerusalem and he will reign in Jerusalem. And so the gospel message is incomplete if we don't include the promise of Christ's return. Because he came once to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, save us. But... From what? And to what? That's what I want to talk about. That we proclaim today. That's the message we proclaim. And every time we tell this story, I don't know about you, but every time I hear and tell the Christmas story and reflect on it, it with each telling it swells the hope in me swells greater and greater. And I hope it does for you too. And we have seen in this month of Sunday morning messages, the biblical account of Simeon and Anna, that they were convinced of a promise that Christ was coming. They were consumed in preparation for his coming. They were captured with praise when he came. And today we're going to see, like others in the Christmas story, and hopefully we ourselves, they were compelled to proclaim. When Simeon and Anna, and if you turn to Luke chapter 2, I want to read some of that passage to you. Luke chapter 2, if you look at verse 25, it will be on the screen too. Luke two twenty-five says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ spirit into the temple and when the parents of brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said look our lord now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples to bring revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people Israel now Simeon's not just speaking this to the lord yes he is it's a prayer it's a praise, as we looked at last week, but it's, but it's also a proclamation of what's happening and what will happen. He's proclaiming that this person, this baby that's been born, is going to bring salvation. And look at verse 38. Anna does the same thing, this widow. It says, And coming in that instant, she saw, well, she saw Jesus, she gave thanks to the Lord, and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here are these two elderly people who are in the temple, and they knew that this person, this little baby, was not just the answer to their hopes, but was the answer to the hopes of the whole world. What we need to realize is that all these people that are strung out on drugs and alcohol and immorality and and violence and hatred, you know what their hope is? They don't know it, but you know what their hope is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the answer to all of their problems. He is what they're still looking for. I want us to answer three questions today. What compelled Simeon and Anna to proclaim? Why did they proclaim? And to whom did they proclaim? And so in answering these questions about Simeon and Anna, I hope we discover what our responsibility is too. You know, we sit in church Sunday after Sunday. We, we come to Sunday school, we study the Bible, we, we, get, we worship and we praise the Lord together. But I wonder how much of Jesus just stays right here. And how much of him do we actually carry out to our workplace, to our schools, to our leisure places? What are we actually doing with what we're seeing and experiencing about Jesus Christ? You see, when those are the first Christmas... When they saw and beheld, it changed them. And so the first thing I want us to look at is what compelled them to talk about Jesus was a personal encounter. Simeon said, my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 in verse 20, the Bible says about them. They were were instructed, do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And young people, I I hope this doesn't happen in your lifetime. I hope it doesn't happen in mine. But we see that we're inching closer and closer in our country to that being reality in the United States of America. Do not speak to us in the name of Jesus. Do not talk to us about God or the Bible. But Peter and John said in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak. The things that we have seen and heard. Listen, when you've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, you can't help but talk about him. Just like I couldn't help talking about my grandbaby and all you other grandparents have been grandparents longer than I have, and people may not want to hear it, but you can't help but talk about it, can you? You whip out them pictures. You don't need an invitation to whip out those pictures, do you? You just whip them out. Nobody asked you to show us your grandbaby. You just can't wait for them to see him. Shouldn't that be true for Jesus and our love for Christ? Shouldn't it? They were compelled to proclaim because they had a personal encounter. What else compelled them to proclaim? The Bible says about Simeon, he came by the Spirit into the temple, the Holy Spirit within us. If, if you've had a personal encounter with Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And he is the compeller. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, Jesus told them, he gave him the Great Commission, Go into all the world. Take the gospel. Take my message in all the world. But here's what he told him to do. Don't go yet. I want you to wait. Now, why would he tell him to wait? He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Who is the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. And he said, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have the power. And he said, the Holy Spirit will compel you to proclaim me wherever you go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, if you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit living within you. And one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit and being saved is that you're compelled to proclaim His name. You're compelled to talk about Him wherever you go. If you're ashamed of Him, you may not know Him. You may not be right with Him if you're ashamed of Him. I'm not ashamed of my grandbaby. I don't mind people knowing about her. Is that the way we are about Jesus? The Holy Spirit compelled them. You know what else compelled them? Is love. About Bible, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. A Dutch diamond collector was seeking a very rare diamond. And he heard about this dealer in New York by the name of Mr. Winston. That He had this very rare diamond. So this Dutch collector travels all the way to New York. And when he arrived, Mr. Winston had his salesman present the diamond to this collector. And the salesman described all the technical aspects of that beautiful diamond. But within minutes, the collector just stopped him, raised his hand said, I've heard enough. And he said, that's not what I'm looking for. And he got up and he walked out. But as he was walking out the door, Mr. Winston ran to intercept him. And he said, sir, would you allow me to show you that diamond? And the collector said, sure. And so Mr. Winston began to tell him of his passion for diamonds. He began to talk about this particular diamond in such a way that was compelling. And before long, Mr. Wins, the the collector, signed a check for millions of dollars to get that diamond. And as he was leaving, he turned and asked Mr. Wins, he said, what just happened here? He said, your salesman tried to get me to buy that diamond and I was completely uninterested. He said, but you talk to me and, and I write a check like that. He said, what made the difference? He said, well, let me tell you about my salesman. He is an expert. He's the best in the business. He knows more about diamonds than anyone, and I pay him a great salary for his expertise. But I would pay him twice as much if he had what I have. See, he knows diamonds. I love diamonds. You see, a lot of us have Bible knowledge, but we're not in love with Jesus. Most of us know more Bible than we'll ever live but we're not in love with Jesus. That's what Jesus told the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. We love to come to church. We love to sing. We love to study the Bible. But we don't really love Jesus because I think if we love Jesus, it would compel us to talk about him. Go back to the grandbaby illustration. You love your grandbaby? If you don't really like, think she's that cute, if you really don't love her, you don't talk about her. But if you're proud of that grandbaby, if you love her or him, same with Jesus. There's also a love for our fellow man. I couldn't help but think about what Paul told the church at Corinth, but he also is written to us too. He said, if, uh, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if you had all knowledge, all the Bible knowledge, though I have all faith, I'm a great person of faith. I pray and mountains move. That's what he's saying. But you have love. Don't have love. You're nothing. Some of you are very socially minded and very charitably minded, giving and serving. He said, if I Bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. You see, sometimes we don't love other people enough to share the truth of Jesus Christ with them. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of, well, the the book of 1 John, chapter 4. It says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested. Now, Paul—I uh, mean John—begins to teach the gospel and connected to love. It's the love of God that, that sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, into this world, that we might live through Him. And this is love—not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. You see, I didn't ask Jesus to come. Nobody invited Jesus to this world. Think about it. You know why you're saved? It's not because you invited Jesus to save you. You say, "Yeah, it is. I did do that." Yeah, it is. You exercised your will to do that. That's part of salvation. But you didn't. You weren't looking for Jesus in your life. God intersected your life, just like when God came. Jesus came out of heaven. God came in the flesh. Nobody invited him. Nobody wanted him. In fact, when he finally came, he was rejected. But God showed us the Savior. And that's how we got saved, is we saw what God did. And we saw our sin. And we asked God to forgive us and cleanse us. And yes, we did invite him in, but it wasn't until after he came without our invitation how does that relate to what I'm talking about? Sometimes we wait for somebody to invite us to tell them about Jesus. If you wait for somebody to invite you to tell them about Jesus, you're going to be waiting, you're going to be a skeleton. If you think people are out there anxious to hear about Jesus, you're mistaken. Do they need him? Desperately need him? Are there souls longing for him? Yes, but mentally and emotionally they're not some most people are not aware of it. We have to make them thirsty. Make them hungry. Help them to see. We need to love them like God loved us. God loved us and sent his son. Do you love your fellow man? You know think about what's going to happen to that coworker of yours if he doesn't get saved. he dies. What's going to happen? If you believe the gospel when the Bible is true, what's going to happen? You don't want to say it, do you? He's going to hell. Is that where you want him to go? Do you care? That's why Jesus came. That's why the angels announced it. That's why the shepherds couldn't keep it to themselves. That's why Mary, Simeon, and Anna couldn't keep it to themselves. They loved others they loved christ you know what about our church does our church does this community know that we love people here i think we have a good reputation for that here reminds me of a story one sunday a lady watched this boy uh keep coming keep passing her house and she stopped him one day and said where are you going and he said well i'm going to i'm going to church she goes, well, where do you go to church? He said, well, I go to that church way down there. She goes, why do you go to that church when you pass three other churches to get to that church? And you have to walk. Why don't you just go to the closest one? He says, because that church loves me. You know, people will drive 100 miles to go to a church that loves them. So why did they proclaim? They proclaimed because they had a personal encounter with Christ. They proclaimed because they were compelled by the Holy Spirit. They proclaimed because they had love for Christ and for others. And that's what will compel us to proclaim. If you're not proclaiming telling others about Jesus, something's wrong. In your relationship with Christ, something's wrong. You need to evaluate your relationship with Christ. What message did they proclaim? If you look at verse 29, it says, Simeon, part of his message, in fact, the very beginning, He said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. He was proclaiming God's word. He knew what God's word said. The general secretary of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe, his name is Gaylord Kambarami, and he was trying to give a New Testament to a a very belligerent man. who didn't really want a New Testament Bible. The man said, I don't need that Bible. In fact, I'll probably just rip out the pages and roll cigarettes with them. And Camberini, Rami said, "Well, I understand that, but at least promise me to read the page of the new, you, that you rip out. At least read that page before you roll it and smoke them." Okay. And so the man agreed, and the two went their separate ways. Fifteen years later, the the two men meet at a convention in Zimbabwe, and the Bible-smoking pagan hood had now been saved. And he was standing to give his testimony at that convention, and he said this, I smoked Matthew, (laughs) and I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God's book is more than just words on paper? God's word—that's what we proclaim. We don't proclaim our opinions. We don't proclaim what society is. What's normal in our society, what's culturally relevant, is not what we proclaim. What everybody wants to hear—that's not what we proclaim. We proclaim what's in the Word of God. We proclaim God's salvation. That's what it says in verse thirty. Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. He was proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the salvation of God. We proclaim, as as Anna said, instead of Anna in verse 38, we proclaim God's redemption. She talked to others about, to those who are looking for redemption. And you see God's word, God's salvation, and God's redemption, you know, are all wrapped up in one person. Who's that? Jesus Christ. God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the salvation of God. Acts 4, 12. There's no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name. What name is that? The angel said to Mary, the angel said to Joseph, that baby that's Conceived in her womb, you shall call him, what? Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. Salvation is wrapped up in Jesus, so is redemption. Colossians 1.14. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means a price has been paid for. The price for your sins... The price for my sins has been paid in full. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. That's a financial term of the day. It is pronounced in, in the language of the day, I. And it means paid in full. So when Jesus said it's finished, he was declaring, God, Father, I paid the debt for all mankind. What, what a fool to reject the debt being paid suppose you owed a billion dollars to somebody and he somebody else came along and says I'll pay that debt for you and you said nah I'll handle it I'll handle it that's what fools do when it comes to rejecting Christ nah I'll take my chances i can handle it my good works outweigh my bad really your bad works have already been erased if you just accept Jesus Christ. Simply put, we proclaim Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in Colossians 1. He said, I ain't come to baptize. I came to preach Jesus. He said, I don't preach conventional wisdom. He said, I preach Jesus Christ and his, his death. we, we got to talk about Jesus, y'all. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's Keep the main one the main one. It's Jesus. So that's what Simeon Anna and And the leaders of the fledgling church, in the book of Acts, we read they proclaimed Jesus, they preached Jesus, and the hope that they had in what Jesus had done and would do. Remember what I said earlier, the gospel message is incomplete if we don't include the promise of his return. You see, he came to seek and to save the lost, right? You agree with that? Let me ask you a question, what did he save us from? What he save us from? A lot of things. First of all, he saved us from our sins. We could say he saved us from ourselves. He saved us from Satan. He saved us from death, eternal death, separation from God, spiritual darkness and death. He saved us from a lot of things. Here's another question. What did he save us to? He saved us from something, okay? He, he saved us from something. So th- think about this. Here's a guy drowning in the boat. Here's Peter walking on the water, and he all of a sudden sinks because he looks around he sees the boisterous waves. He begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, what? Save me. So he's saying, save me from these waves. So Jesus saved him from the waves. Then what did they do? They got back in the boat, saved him to the boat. What's the boat for the Christian? What are we saved from sins? What are we saved to? The Bible answers that question in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. That's what we're talking about, hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an incorruptible inheritance, undefiled, that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You've been saved from sin to heaven. You've been saved from yourself to God. You've been saved from Satan to Christ. Don't forget, that's the message of Christmas. But it's also, how are we going to get there? Well, some people are going to have to pass through the portal of physical death to get there. Some, I hope, like us, maybe today, we might be blessed to be part of the, up, the snatching away that I spoke of a moment ago. But Christ is coming again. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Again. He came once. He said, I will come again and receive you to myself. See, we're saved from ourselves to himself. That where I am, you may be also. He's getting us out of this junk hole, y'all. I love the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to do tomorrow night. I'll read this scripture again tomorrow night, more than likely. 1 Corinthians 11:26. 26. Paul says it this way. He says, why do we do this? He says, every time you do it. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how often we should do it. But he does say, every time you do it. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. But Paul said, every time you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death. Is that where he put the period? Anybody know how that verse ends? Till he what comes. There's a twofold promise right there there's the death of Christ, and then there's the return of Christ. And we see that represented in the Lord's Supper. So we proclaim his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his, return. his coming back. Let me ask you this as we close to whom? Did they proclaim the message? Were they selective? Were Simeon and Anna selective? Were the shepherds selective? Go back and read the Christmas story. And you'll see, like it says in verse 31 and 32, he says, Simeon says, While you have prepared, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. That was a new concept in that day. You see, Israel thought they, and they were, the chosen people, But Jesus didn't come just for Israel. He came for all people. That's what he says. Also, Anna spoke of redemption to all those who looked for redemption. You see, Jesus is not just the fulfillment of our hopes, but the hopes of the whole world. But most don't know it yet. They don't know he's their hope. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them that Jesus is their hope? Who's going to tell that pot-smoking drug addict That heroin's shooting up drug it. Who's going to tell that alcoholic? Who's going to tell that prostitute or that pimp? Who's going to tell the atheist that Christ is their hope if we don't? We proclaim to all people we cannot be selective. Jesus instructed us to take his message to the whole world, Matthew 28, Acts 1-8. You ask, well, people don't want to hear it again. We weren't asking for Jesus to be born in the first place. We don't wait for an invitation. We obey a command. And we've been given a command to go into all the world. That's why we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to send our missionaries overseas. That's why we train young men and young women, old men and old women, to go and to serve Christ. That's why we do what we do here in this community and in our state and in our nation. We spend hundreds thousands and millions of dollars because we're obeying the command of Christ. And it's worth every penny. What if they don't want to listen? What if they don't want to hear it? We've been warned that would be the case. Paul told Timothy, he said, there's going to come a time in the last days where they're not going to hear what you got to say. They're going to have itching ears. That is, they're going to ask people to come speak to them who will tell them what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. Have you ever lived in a generation today that didn't want to hear the truth any more than this one? It's crazy. The truth doesn't mean... You, they don't even have logic. They're irrational. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear things that make sense. You know, Simeon alluded to this in his message to Mary. If you look back at the story, he said, verse 34, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And a sword. Boy, well, he says, and for a sign that will be spoken against. Simeon points out the fact that many are going to be offended at this little baby. Right off the bat, who was? Herod. Offended. First act of violence against the Christ, the physical person of Christ, the first act of violence was all the babies in Bethlehem were slaughtered. Those that reject Christ will do anything to stop him. That's what we're seeing in our culture today. He said, yes, Simeon said he's going to be a sign spoken against. He's, he's set for the fall and the rising he knew, as do we, that not everyone will listen to or even like what we have to say. Many will consider it foolishness. Others will be offended, highly offended. I've never lived in a day when everybody was offended about everything. Whoever knew we could, this old-fashioned Christmas song, It's Cold how people get so upset about it. I'm sorry if you're one of those, I'm sorry, that's just silly. You know, we're offended at everything. We make mountains out of molehills. If we just keep the main thing, the main thing. He said to the Greeks in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. He said to the Jew, it's an offense. To the Greek, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. You're going to be considered a fool by this world if you start talking about Jesus. It's all right. I'd rather be a fool to this world than a fool to God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's what God says is a fool. I'd rather be a fool to the world than a fool to God. And he says, "To the Greeks, it's a, I mean to the Jews it's a stumbling block. That word stumbling block means uh, offense. It's a scandal. It's actually translated scandal, an offense. People are offended at hearing the message of Jesus Christ. They're not going to like it. Not everybody's going to like it. I love the story of Acts chapter 17, where Paul was in the, most, the wisest place you could be in that day, Athens, Greece. And he was in the wisest spot in the wisest place, the Areopagus, where all these learned men from all over the world were gathered discussing new ideas and new things. It was like a great convention every day of wisdom of the world. And Paul, can you imagine Paul? He steps in and maybe he, I don't know if he interrupts but he begins to tell, him, he said, hey guys, I noticed that y'all have all these altars here to all these different gods. He said, I even noticed, he said, I passed one that said, To the unknown God. And Paul said, hey, let me introduce that guy to you. (laughs) And he begins to preach Jesus. And the end of that chapter says, and some rejected it. But some believed. Hear that. Yes, many are going to think it's a foolish thing we do to talk about Jesus. But for some, we'll be rescuing the perishing they'll reach up and say, that's exactly what I need. Don't be afraid of those that are offended. In the 1840s, John Getty left the pastorate of a church in Canada to take his wife and two small children to the South Seas to begin a mission work there. After a thousands of miles voyage, they arrived at the New Hebrides Islands. And this island chain was filled with cannibals and more than 20 crew members of a British ship had already been killed and eaten just seven months earlier before they, the Gettys arrived. They faced the difficulty of learning a language that had no written form and the constant threat of being killed. Slowly a few converts began to come to Christ and then more received their gospel of Christ. Getty continued his ministry faithfully. He in, he translated the entire Bible into their native language. He planted twenty-five churches. And for those many of those years, Getty labored and with little help and little word from home. But God was faithful to His servant. In the pulpit of church where he pastored for so many years back in America, back in Canada, stands a plaque in his honor. Which says, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. Oh, that I and we had that kind of passion to proclaim. What we rehearse year after year week after week, even day after day, if we would but speak it, there are lives that would be changed. That's why Jesus came, not to give us a day off, not to give us a holiday from work, not even to give us family time, and a reason to exchange gifts. He came to seek and to save the lost. And how shall they be saved without a proclaimer? That's what Bi- the Bible asks. Simon and Anna were those proclaimers. The shepherds were proclaimers. Will you join them? pray that God would enable us and empower us and compel us like never before to make this message our, the theme of our lives. The theme of our lives. Jesus Christ, that's what Paul said, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's theme, most people know his theme. You know it. You could quote it just as easily as I could. For me to live, keep going, is Christ. To die is gain. What if that were our motto, the theme? For me to live is to make Christ known. And if I die while doing it, hey, I ain't lost nothing. I've gained. Let's pray.